Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 180-something, and today, in this episode, my favorite repeat guest has made the 40-foot journey to the back house. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Bell is on today's episode. Hello. Welcome. It is Lady K Starpants in the house. <laughs> I'm so glad New you... New nicknames. I'm so glad that you would come do this. And I need to give you uh, a bit of background, peoples, on where we're going to go in this episode, because all this is quite fascinating to me. Um, last year, I released something called Launching Rockets, which was a three-hour audio project it's my 17 observations about being a parent, which of course is very different from giving parenting advice, which I'm not interested in. <laughs> it's my observations about being a parent. Like observation number one was your first job isn't to raise your kid. Uh, I think your first job is to enjoy your kid. Um, so anyway, we released that, but what we did is it's two hours of my 17 observations, and then Kristen offered and did an hour of her commentary on my observations, and for many of you, that part was much better than my part. <laughs> you know this, right? That people say, we, we, we're, we've heard you enough, we would like to hear Kristen. Like, we, we actually prefer hearing Kristen. You know that that's like a normal thing, and it makes me so happy, and I'm used to it by now, oh, and I welcome nice. it. So that's, that's, gonna nice. that's what's going to happen with this episode. I already know it. This episode will come out, and then everybody will be like, well, why don't... You know, it'll just be something like, why don't you have her on more? And I'm like, well... Because it's 40 feet to the back house. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long journey. Okay. So, what was interesting... Oh, and by the way, um, Launching Rockets is now at my site for pay whatever you want. So, if you don't have it, it used to be like a fixed price, but now it's just pay whatever you want because that's, you know, why not do that? So, um, that said... Today, what I want to do, and I'm so glad, you, because this is an idea that you gave me that then I was like, oh, wait, we should do an episode on this, is the other day, probably last fall, Kristen said, um, you know, there's a bunch of research on some of, the, some of the things you were saying in Launching Rockets. She said, there's actually research about that, <laughs> which makes me smile. Part of me is like, of course, and part of me is like, no way, really? So... Um, I was like, well, let's do an episode and you tell me about this research that you've stumbled across and then we will um, take it from there. Is great. that a good way to set it up? Yeah, that's great. And I think um, the reason why I like research is I feel like it gets the discussion going even further. Yeah. And I feel like your observations were really great at that. Like I, I feel like they laid a foundation for a or way of being a parent, um, yeah, because it, it's about y it's about you and how you carry yourself, right? And, and you doing your work, and which I think to us is much more interesting than the specifics. Like this is how you do this, and this is how you do this, and we've tried this, and this is what's worked, and this is what hasn't. And sometimes that can be interesting and helpful. Um, but I think what you do with the observations is you lay this foundation for a way of being that then you, your being a parent flows out of that. So like, for example, when you start with your job is to enjoy your kids, out of that springs so many things. And I think some of it just springs naturally when you make that shift of yes. thinking. Yes. But some of it is an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the reason why when I came across this research, I found it so interesting is because I feel like it keeps the conversation going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought you might like it because, you know, it's it feels good when you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was thinking about... Early on, my models for the work I was trying to do were of the of the spiritual leadership, spiritual authority variety. Were generally the the leader is the person or the teacher or the preacher or whatever is the one who ends the discussion. 
they tell you right. what it means or what to do, or it's almost like they answer the question and they settle it. Well, especially in a religious culture, it's settled by saying, this is what God thinks about this, or this is what God says <laughs> yeah, about yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. And like, yeah. there is no discussion <laughs> yeah. after and that. And next thing you know, you're telling God people says. what records they can listen to, <laughs> or what movies they should go to. But um, I, what, I, what happened to me, I mean, I think it happened to both of us early on is probably in our early 20s, I remember you and I waking up to, oh, no, it's not about having the last word. It's about having the first word. It's, if you're doing this well, it will start discussions, not end them. And instead of great proclamations from on high about how it is, I remember one day realizing, oh, my job is to set the table so people can feast. Right, and if you see life or parenting or being a parent as um, an evolution process, a growth process, a transformation right, right, process, right, right. then when you try things that don't work or you find yourself frustrated a lot more than you think you should, yeah, which, or beating again, yourself is up a or judgment, flogging yourself for the voices you in your head telling you. You can release yourself yeah, from that because absolutely. it's an ongoing process. Absolutely. Where we learn and evolve and try new things and see things differently. And I would say in our experience, as our kids have gotten older, with our oldest now being 19, we have learned how to enjoy our kids more. Like that's definitely been an arc in our experience. Oh, yeah. is just more and more and more you're like, man, this is even more fun than it used to be. Right. This is getting more and more and more fun. Who knew? Like, I remember when I was pregnant with Trace, our first, I got all the books from the library. I do actually. remember you did that. Because you're like a good student. <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting and beyond. You know, I just got all of them. And I remember you had a big stack. And, and you were... shortly after Trace <laughs> was born, I was bringing up this thing that I'd read and this thing that I'd read, but more in a sense of like, I'm worried about this. What about this? Are we doing this right? And I remember at one point you looked at me and you said, it's time to put the books away. <laughs> <laughs> They're not helping. Did I really? Yeah, because you I could remember- see that I was getting too caught up in, in all the things that could go wrong or things I might miss. or. Um, it's like the books were giving you things to have anxiety about. Right. There, there probably is like some sort of bell curve of helpfulness. Like, books are really helpful to a certain point, and then on the other side of that curve, it's like, they just cause yeah, more anxiety. Right. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, so it's almost like if... That's a good way to think about new... The intake of information. You need some information for whatever it is you're doing. But at the point at which the information is not empowering you and putting wind in your sails, but is actually handing you new anxieties then you probably have enough information. Right, which then is a little plug for <laughs> being married. Like, it's helpful to have a partner oh. who can see that happening. Like, uh, I, couldn't, yeah, right. I couldn't necessarily see that happening. But you saying in a humorous way, like, you know what? It's time to put those books away. It freed me. It's funny because that, yeah. I, think about how many times, though, over 24 years, I haven't had a clue and you're like, it's probably... You probably should learn. <laughs> like I've tried to put something to, together without the owner's manual, and you've been right. Like, I'm like, you maybe it would be helpful out. to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you should probably get some books out. <laughs> well, I love it that you ask me <laughs> like questions that you could easily look up. Like you could easily Google the question, but you'll ask me. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll think this answer is probably somewhere else, and I'm probably just bothering her. But I just like to ask her stuff. Yeah, any kind of practical question. You seem to think that I'll know the answer <laughs> to it, which I should probably take as a compliment. How do I get surf wax out of a linen sweater? That, um, how? So back to being a parent. Yeah, but there was like nine other things I wanted to ask you about in there. Okay, so um, we talked about starting the discussion. It's just such an interesting... So now... What do you want to do, do the first one? Yeah. Um, I came across this study and it made me laugh because it 
it just brought to mind Mm -hmm. your observation, which was don't be a door number two parent. Ah, I love that one. I'll let you, um, after, after I talk about the study for a minute, um, I would love to hear how you came up with that just from your own experience, because I came across research that says, (laughs) of course, Yes. Um, being a door number two kind of person, whether it's in school or being a parent or what, I just, they found that it doesn't work. Okay. So here's a study. Lay it on me. Um, it happened at Harvard University Nursery School, because you know. Such a place exists. That alone is delightful. Harvard, you know, Harvard Nursery School. Okay. Right. So they took um, a group of five-year-old children and they had them rate how much they liked a group of toys. So then they identified which toy each kid liked the most. Mm -hmm. And they told them, this toy that you like the most, you can't play with it. So putting it behind door number two is what they did. Now, the difference is that um, they divided the kids into two groups. So the difference between the two groups is for half of the kids, they gave them kind of a mild threat. They said, if you play with the toy, I'll be a little bit angry. Um, For the other half, they made it a little more severe. And they told the kids, if you play with this toy that you like the most, um, I will be very angry and I'll have to take all the toys and go home and never come back again. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the last part. And I'll think that you're just a baby. So that's as severe as it got. What are the ethics? What are the ethics? Well, of with doing all these psychological studies, research there's, on well, there's always you have to submit it to a, a review board. So who decides this is fine? Yes, <laughs> there are lots of things that are considered when weighing, and, and then I'll think you're a to, baby. They have to give informed consent. So um, that I'm is sure a, there was a, lots and lots of thought put into like. How severe is too severe? Correct. But they considered this severe. Like Oof, you're a baby. Like this toy is yes. behind door number two, <laughs> and this is what's going to happen if you play with it. Okay. And what they learn? Okay. So, um, so, so then they left the room and they allowed the children just to play with any toy that they would choose. Now, all of the children resisted the temptation to play with the forbidden toy. But the difference is what happened later. Later, they asked the kids to rate the attractiveness of all the toys in the room. And those with the mild threat found the forbidden toy less attractive than before. So something changed inside of them where they were like, ah, I guess I can't play with that toy, so I'm just going to find other toys that are interesting to me. But what happened to the kids with a severe threat um, is that the toy didn't become less attractive. It actually became more attractive. Fascinating. So that made me think of your sure. door number two. Like whenever you give too much energy to don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, it's there's this weird effect where it becomes more attractive. If you forbid something with too much energy, passion, or direction, like if you had, like if with a kid, like whatever you do, don't do that. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't go behind door number two. Don't touch that. Don't, but there's a chance, especially if more than one kid that, that you will have just made that thing so unbelievably attractive to that kid. Pete Rollins talks about the sacred prohibition. As soon as it's prohibited, it becomes somehow sacred. Like it, the desire is increased for it. And this interesting thing that happens, what I observed is that oftentimes people had things from their own history. And then with their kid, it was like this spirit, unresolved spiritual energy. It was like a, became like a spiritual issue. Like they... They had so, it's like a downed power line. They had so electrified a certain thing in a negative way, like so desperately trying to protect their kid from that, that inadvertently made the kid more curious and interested and likely to make a mess of it 
Right. And there's a big difference between that and just telling your kid what you think about that. Like, right. this is not smart. It's dangerous. You right. know, Heroin, as a general rule, avoid. Right. right. Like or all so, the just sort or of. Or somebody's been drinking, don't get in the car with them. There are yeah. certain things that. Are like basics to like safety, health, and vitality and function in the world. To teach our kids. But then it's like there's some line where then you have to like, okay, I told them. I, you know, I got to trust that yes. they now have internalized this. And what I found interesting about this study is those kids, they changed how they felt about the thing that they wanted. Like that particular toy, they wanted more than anything. And when they were told, you know what, you can't play with this. And if you do, I'm going to be a little angry with you. It was enough to have them shift their attention and say, well, this other toy over here is pretty good too. I'll just play with this one. Like a calm, measured information about consequence or warning actually did help but then when it crossed into some other this goes back to me to in like a Q&A somebody will raise their hand they'll have that I have a question about how do I get my kid to and I'll literally four words into the question I'll feel the anxiety of this parent who's trying to get their kid to um, to do this to do that they're, they're trying to control their kid or trying to like override their kids' internal decision-making system somehow. It's all done, I mean, obviously in love and good intention, but you, what's interesting to me is how many times the person's sitting 20 feet away and they'll ask the question, and four or five words into the question, I can feel all of this anxiety right. coming my well, way. And, they, and they, I think, what is it like to live in your house? Well, they say <laughs> that most communication is nonverbal. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy percentage, right. like... Five or ten percent of communication is actually the words that actually you say. what you said. And if you think about that in a home where you live with these kids, and they're picking up on your nonverbal, they're picking up on your energy, they're picking up on so much more than just your words. Right, and so you're. I think in launching rockets, I talked about you can easily unintentionally elect magnetize something by your constant warnings against it in such a way that you're handing your anxiety about it to your kid and weirdly mag it's like a polarity it's like a magnetization that happens your kids now like i wonder what is behind door number two they keep talking about door number two they're always seem to be set off by door number two. what is so dangerous toxic intoxicating exciting alluring sexy behind door number two that my parent is so concerned like you think about i mean there's obviously like drugs entertainment but then you think about like mothers and daughters and what clothing and you know what i mean like you think about all the subjects where they right there's so many different stages of parenting like right like the baby stage the toddler stage at every stage there's something you can make too big of a deal about right and so with every stage there are going to be different things that you want to protect your kids from and different levels of freedom that you allow them but i think the bottom line in all of these stages is as parents being aware of and dealing with our own anxieties about things. Like like if something has become a door number two for us and we realize that we're talking about it way too much and giving it way too much, um, I guess just energy, maybe stopping and asking ourselves, what is this about for me? Right, right. Because most of being a parent is about you. It's about you working through your stuff, you being more alive, you going after whatever it is that lights you up. Right. And aren't kids such interesting, I don't know, catalysts for us as to help us grow? Like they point out so yeah, many right. things. They, right. they push so many buttons. Right, they, right, right. They activate so many fears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like it's so enjoyable and the most wonderful thing ever. And at the same time, our kids push us in ways that we don't necessarily want to be pushed. Or like but how many ultimately it's <laughs> yes. it's it's for our good. Like how many times somebody's like I'm having a problem with my kid and then you get you 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 get a little more of the story and you're like no. 
your kid is actually responding to the stuff that you haven't worked out in your own life. Your kid is giving you wonderful feedback on a bunch of things that are present with you. You know, I was thinking before we ever had kids, there is a couple who you and I were fascinated with their relationship with their kids, with their adult kids. We are like, Wally Mitch, what's the deal with this? And they said, no rules. And you and I were like, what? And they were like, just have no rules or have as few rules as possible. Let you give your kids absolutely as much freedom as possible. And then if they in any way abuse that freedom, then you got to, then you got to do some, but begin with, which is interesting now that I look back on it, have as little anxiety as possible, as few prohibitions as possible, which I think is just very interesting. <laughs> No, that's good because I, I think ultimately our job as parents is to help our kids develop their own internal compass uh, because at some point they are going to be launched. These rockets are going to be launched into the world and they're not going to have us helping them decide right. what's right and what's wrong and what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And so... Somewhere along the line, they're going to need to develop a, a way of deciding what they believe and what they value and how they make decisions. So it's interesting. There's a, in order for our kids to develop that, you do have to give them a certain amount of freedom because they're going to try things. That's how kids learn. Yes. Like if you think about little kids... They learn by playing. They like push a truck off a ledge and see or what like happens. Or like bumping into or, things or falling off stairs and stuff. Right. Or even even at school, at recess, they learn what happens when you push a kid down. Yeah. Um, there are consequences. Like they learn for them what works and what doesn't. It's a constant process of trying things and learning from it. And I, and I know that that continues into the teenage years. And I think as parents... It's harder for us to watch it because we feel like we could save them from this. We could save them from this, but right, but the right, point right, is right, right, right. they've got to they've got to try it because it's part. Yes, it's like you can't it's door part number of two learning and the learning process developing their internal compass right. And, how they want to be in the world, what they want their life to be like. Um, and, and it's easy for a parent to do the same downed power line reverse magnetism thing with the, the explorative process of learning who you are and what you're doing and how the world works. You know what I mean? Like the kid tries something and it doesn't go well or it costs something or the car is dented and the parent door number twos it essentially just freaks out as opposed to <sighs> calm. Yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens when you spend money. This is what happens when you drive a car. This is what happens when you get in a relationship. This is what happens. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's how it is. Like you have to like just demagnetize that or it's all the anxiety all over again. Right, which really, I mean, another way that our kids learn is is from watching how we react to things. And Yes. And they, they're with us all the time. They know what we think. They know what we value. They when we react, they know they know why we're reacting. Um, and I think I actually believe it's okay to overreact or to or to have to, to let your kids catch you in a bad moment and then you admit it. You know what I mean? That's part of that's part of learning as well. Yeah. Um, reacting and then telling your kid, you know what? I'm really sorry I reacted like that. It's not actually what I think. It's just, it caught me, it caught me at a bad moment. I have never, ever seen you overreact. You haven't? Do you think, you're like the coolest, calmest, oh, you're just like totally, do you think that's like been a thing for you? (laughs) Well. For the interview portion of the show? I mean, because I think you're like a... You, I'm thinking about like the couple... Well... You're such a non-anxious I'm thinking about presence. the times that I have sworn in front of the kids. 
Yeah, but that's hilarious and entertaining, <laughs> and we all enjoy that. Don't stop that. Don't apologize for that. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it more, because what's in the past is in the past. But um, No, when you lose it, it's so fantastic. Because you're such a calm got it all figured out and then when you lose it it's fantastically well, of course, humanizing everybody has buttons and they get pushed that's correct i mean we would <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't continue to grow if we didn't have these edges <laughs> we were going to talk about research and we have wandered way off into the deep weeds and i love it yeah <laughs> yeah oh is there more to this? Or yeah, you know what? There is one follow-up study oh, okay. that I also thought was interesting because it adds um, it adds another element. Okay. So somebody took um, the study that I just mentioned and they took it a little farther. What they did this time is they took um, a group of kids and they got a toy robot that threw things around the room. So seriously, <laughs> what could be more fun than that? <laughs> And then there is a toy robot that throws things around a room. I know. Who knew? Oh, born and too then late. The the rest of the toys they made really lame. Okay. So their their objective was to make the one toy like everybody wanted to play with the yeah. one toy. And then they asked them not to play with it. So um, in the process, half were um, given the threat of "I will be." I will be angry, which was considered mild, and then some a more severe verbal threat. Um, now, what they did that's different than the other study is they waited nine weeks. So nine weeks later, they came back to the same group of kids, and they created an excuse of they wanted the kids to take a written test, and then they needed a little time to grade the test. So while they were grading the test, they told the kids to play with the toys, and it was the same toys. It was the really cool robot and the really lame other toys. And they found that those who were mildly threatened nine weeks ago did not play with the robot, and those who were severely threatened did play with the robot. So, Oh, that's interesting. So something happened... Something happened to these kids who were told, don't play with the robot. If you do, it's not going to be a big deal, but I'm going to be upset. Um, and I mean, why would they really care that much? It was a researcher they'd never met before. They would probably yeah. never see again. It was really, really mild. But that was enough to have them not be interested in playing with that robot. And the A opposite, mild deterrent actually worked. Right. But then when it was notched up, when the knobs were turned to the right, then there was like a, almost like a curve of diminishing. Then it f went the other way, and it was ineffective. Right. Oh, my word. So like when the parent says, uh, you know what, just don't do that. The kid, right, and here's why. The kid might remember, but the parent's like, don't do that. Which is probably why yelling and shouting just goes the other direction. Right. Or and obviously this study was done with um, preschoolers. So, I mean, it's just, it's kind of just a launching pad for thinking about, have I seen this work in my own life? And that's why I was interested that you came up with door number two, because obviously you have witnessed that in your own life. Um but I was thinking, like, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. They did it with preschoolers who mm -hmm. are very concrete in their thinking. Yeah. Um, once kids get to be around 11 or 12, they get, they're able to think more abstractly. Mm -hmm. They can think about consequences in the future. They mm -hmm. can, um, they can, there's a different type of reasoning that can happen with kids who are, older than around 11, 12, yeah. um, where when you teach them about something, they can think logically about it. So when yeah. you tell them, don't do this because of these three reasons, or this is how, this is what I think about this. Yeah. 
Um, and if you did it, yeah, I would, honestly, I would be disappointed because this is how I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's like, I don't, that seems like a very effective way of getting a kid to think about it themselves and make their own decisions based on their own internal compass. And what's interesting about that also, once again, you're talking about preschool kids. But what's interesting is how many adults, uh, oftentimes it's when people are telling funny stories, but people can remember what they were not allowed to do as a kid. Right. 40 years later, right. our memory, people can recount. Our memory is very selective. Yeah. But well, we all in, remember what we were restricted from. In my family, in my school, in my town, in my the curfew was, the laws were, on the playground, the beach, wherever the thing was, we remember the prohibitions and the rules, um, rarely with any fondness, which goes back to, I think one of the the observations was about saying yes as much as possible, like you are teaching your kid how to think about the world, and every time you say yes, you're giving them a yes view of creation. You're here to do something with it. And how a no, you have to be so careful as a parent that you don't, you want to have given so many yeses that when you give a no, your kid could never be like, I get no all the time. And be like, that is, you got like 37,000 yeses and you just got a no. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Because some kids, the dominant voice they've ever get from their parents is no. And you're essentially teaching your kid about creation. You're teaching the kid about what kind of universe we're living in. Is it a no or a yes? Was it Martin Buber who talked about there are yes and no positions to life? Um, And that the soul is made for yes, for the possibilities, for imagination, for all of the opportunities to actually do something with this one life you've been given. Oh, man. Yeah. Kristen Bell. I think that we also, we often have pretty rigid categories of what's good for you and what's bad for you. And at least in my own experience, as I, as I get older, like a lot of those categories get a little more gray, like the black and white gets more gray. (laughs) And I was thinking back to a very pivotal moment for me was that book that we came across about everything bad is good for you. Everything bad. Oh, is good for Oh, I was just thinking I should talk about everything bad is good for you. And then you bring it up. I'm looking for it on my shelf. Is it Steven Johnson? Oh, do you still own it? No, but he wrote a book about the invention of glass, which is amazing. It's over there. Um, let me see folks stay with us now. We're live. Um, but everything bad is good for you is and it's about kids. It's about the, kids, correct? Because I remember a major a, section about um, about the idea that video games are yeah. bad for you, and he argues the opposite. <laughs> video games make you smarter. <laughs> seriously, yes. seriously. And and that book is such an awesome book. Everything bad is good for you. But I think what it did. He also is wrote it, a book called How We Got to Now. I think it is. Where is it? Anyway, okay. I think so what, what it did say? is it loosened up some of those categories. Absolutely. And um, absolutely, I think it's very helpful as we aim to enjoy our kids more and um, not give so much emphasis on protecting them from what's bad. Because sometimes the things we think are bad, we just haven't heard all the information. Yeah. There's the book, How We Got to Now by Stephen Johnson, also author of Everything Bad is Good for You. Giant recommendation. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's what we, you want to create this space. I love thinking about being a parent in terms of architecture and like if you have two columns, then those columns have created a space, a negative space between them. So the the placing of objects or architectural elements. You put these two walls here and what you've done is created a space between the two walls, which is its own thing, but the own thing is created by the presence of two other things. So I love the idea of thinking about 
as a parent, you're creating space. Your presence is creating space. And what kind of space is being created? Is it a yes space? What's in this? Because whatever's present within you will be present in the space, and your kid is going to have to live in that space. So if you're consumed with fear, if you're cynical, if you're bitter, if you've settled, if your job is terrible and you hate it, and you carry that feeling around like, I can't believe my life turned out this way, that which is present within you will be present in the space around you, and your kid will have to live in that space. And when you're opened up and you're free and you're loose and you have a deep sense of grounding and centering, then your kid is in that kind of space when they're around you. And a home is like a, is, a, is the ultimate sort of expression of architecture in some ways because it's where you, everything starts and comes out of there. Right, which hopefully, <sighs> which hopefully oh, makes us all breathe a little more deeply. Absolutely. in some ways... In some ways, being a parent and launching rockets is about being. Abs, right. It's so much less about are you doing it right. Right. And it's so much more about being and enjoying your life and finding your own happiness and and you know all of all of those things that make our life better also make our kids. If you're actually maybe even enjoying your life the last thing you're going to be worried about is whether you're doing it right with your kid. Because your kid will be caught up in that joy. How would, they not, how would they not? How could a kid resist that? Hey, we're going on a ride. Come along. <laughs> there you go. Right. Summed it up. I have a sense you're just getting going. Um, well, I, I think... Do you have another study for me? I do. I have one more study. Oh, and good. I think it's going to... Um, I think it's going to be helpful on the other side of don't be a number yeah, right a door number two parent um, because I always think it's helpful to have like a something we're moving into rather than something we're pushing away <laughs> right um, so I think that I think that how we see our kids is going to greatly influence just our way of being with them. Absolutely. And how we see our kids um, is for those for those a major part of those years until they start getting more and more independent and spending more and more time with peers and out you know um, jo- first jobs and outside of the home. But when they're in the home how we see them greatly influences how they see themselves. Absolutely. And um, this study was really, you know, sometimes studies are like, oh, duh, common sense. Yeah. But it's still interesting because it makes us remember that the common sense is really good sense. Yeah. There's a reason <laughs> so, why it's common. Um. In this study, it's with college students, and they were given a personality test and then placed into three different groups. One group was given positive feedback. Now, all of this feedback was made up feedback. So the, the personality test was just like a... I don't... It was just an, it was just an excuse yeah. for the research. Um. So one group was given positive feedback, and they were told that they were mature, interesting, deep. Uh, The second group was given negative feedback. They were told they were immature, uninteresting, and shallow. Oh, brutal. Yeah, based on a personality test. Oh, brutal. (laughs) And then the third group was given no feedback at all. So then they moved into the second part of the experiment that they were told was unrelated to the first. Um, In this part of the experiment, they played cards against other students. It was a gambling game where they could keep the money that they won. And during the game, they were given multiple opportunities to cheat. It was arranged so that the student knew no one would ever know they cheated. And if they cheated, they would definitely win a large sum of money. So there was a large, there was a big motivation to cheat and no one would ever know. 
So the the results were that the first group that was um, given information to raise their self-esteem cheated far less than those who were given information to lower their self-esteem. And the group that got no information fell exactly in between. So how we think about ourselves, even in that brief period of time, affects how likely we are to cheat. And it's like a, in that study, it's like a one to one. It's that, the, it's, it's that direct and obvious. Well, that's striking. Yeah, it's such an interesting science experiment because it's it's in this controlled mm-hmm. period of time. Like we're mm-hmm. not really taking into account all the other variables, all the right. other messages that they've been given their whole life. Right, right. So you may have had kids who their whole life were told how. Special, unique, beautiful, wonderful, right. And they get in this situation where a stranger who's considered an expert because, you know, they're a researcher, tells them that they're shallow, immature, and uninteresting. Somehow, that makes them more likely to violate their own standards and cheat in order to win money against other students. Yeah. So I just think it points to um, the power of perspective. Yeah. There's so many ways that we can think about our kids. Yeah. Like we can, there can be 10 incredible things about our kid, but there's this one thing that we're really concerned about. Right. And it's what we give all of our focus to. Right. It's what you keep bringing up. I mean, this goes to the, to my whole thing about there's two ways when your kid does something annoying or disappointing, there's two ways to respond. The one way is, why do you why do you always do that? And the other is, hey, that's not how we do it. And when you say, why do you always do that? You're raising questions of identity, and that's lethal. Because you are here to announce to your kid who they are over and over again. And when you say, why do you always do that? You're essentially saying, what's wrong with you? Or... Who are you? At a deep level of the psyche, what you're saying to your kid is, who are you? And that's catastrophic for a kid's healthy, proper soul and ego development. Right. Because you're calling into question, you're asking them, as opposed to, that's not how we roll, which is, that's not how we roll is, this is who we are, this is who you are, and that thing you just did doesn't define you. It actually is just an aberration. I know right. you did and that, I, I, but 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 it's not true. It's not true to who you truly are. And as your parent, my job is to just keep announcing who you truly are. I think that's why that jumped out at me in relation to um, launching rockets is because one of your observations. I'm not sure if it was a, a main observation or a subpoint, but um, assume that your kids can be trusted. You all, you're right. And then the other part was, um, you're a bell. (laughs) And this is how bells are. Yeah, right. Like you tell your kids who they are. Right. And they believe it. You just keep telling you. Which goes back to the story starts in chapter one. Like I love, like if you, I mean, if you want to get biblical. Chapter one of what book? (laughs) (laughs) But I love like that we bear the image of the divine. That what's deepest about you is good and true. That's deepest in a human being is the divine image, is the, the I do think that changes everything. And the trueness. And that a lot of people, I mean, if you, like, if you think about the book of Genesis, people make a mess of things by chapter three, but the story doesn't begin in chapter three. It doesn't begin with the mess. It doesn't begin with the way you've screwed up the mistakes, all of the ways that you fall short. It begins with who you truly are at your deepest. Uh, and I mean, I love all the, uh, what J.P. Newell talked when he talks about that, which is deepest within you is good. The, the gospel announcement is the announcement of who you truly are, you've forgotten. And you just need an act of remembering. Well, and yeah, I it changes think the whole game. We we tend to be really good problem solvers, which is, it's a good... It's how you build a modern world in some ways. Right, it's a good quality to have, 
But what happens is if you look at your kids through those eyes of ah, being a problem solver, a one. then you focus on the things that they need to improve, right, the things you're concerned right. about. And you don't mean to, but you forget all of their great qualities. And, yeah. and so then telling them their great qualities may happen every once in a while when you're intentional about it. But your thought process is, how am I going to get them to learn this? How am I going to get them to be better at math? Or how am I going to get them to fill in the blank? Which is, which is not gospel, it's law. Which is, if you just clean up in these areas, if you just improve in this area, then, which takes identity and places it in the future. If you could, it's all, it's, then it's just a world back to the same old game, the whole, the whole point scoring. It's you and your bookkeeping. It's if you could just do this, then. Well, and I think that we forget that our kids feel that from us. Like, like we often think that how we think about our kids doesn't really matter because they're not reading our mind. But it does matter, like, because how you think about them. But see, I don't think you, I've never seen you forget that. That's what I've seen you embody. Well, I feel like I've come a long way. But I used to worry more, and, and I oh, yeah. I worry so much less now. Um, I mean, I I once heard that so much of the way we pray, like, oh, I'm, like my kids started driving, so I'm just praying all the time. <laughs> what you're saying is that you're worrying all the time. Like it's <laughs> like pray. I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a big difference between looking at our kids through like a worry lens or through a love lens. Yeah. See, now that's strong. And right there, there is, there is no worry in love. I mean, there's, there's that Bible verse. Perfect love casts out all fear. Look at you. I think you Bible. could say perfect love casts out all worry, which, yeah, which is not an easy place to get to, because we worry about our kids because we love them and we want to control them and we want them to be okay. I just don't see you worrying. I don't see it. <laughs> That's awesome. I just don't see that. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> you could give clinics on how to be chilled and relaxed. I'm glad you think You that. literally were like, what is Preston leaving us in his new car? <laughs> oh, he's out driving around LA? Oh, great. <laughs> I haven't seen you. I'm glad you don't remember how I used to be. Oh, really? That's how you see it? I don't know. I remember that. I don't remember the past. We've no. fir we firmly established that, especially negative things. Right. I have no great. memory of such things. It just gets great. wiped from the hard drive. Limited capacities. Um so what, one other thing I wanted to okay. say about how we see our kids. Um, I remember a number of years ago, uh, we took this personality test that I, I recently learned was developed by a group of um, positive psychologists mm -hmm. called StrengthsFinder, which some people like personality tests, some people don't. I don't. And I'm not on. saying which category you're in, but... <laughs> The thing that I learned the most from that test was, um, I think they give you like 20 strengths, or maybe it's 30. It's a whole big long list, but they say that you're, you have your top five, and then you have your bottom five, and they actually say that you should just ignore your bottom five and focus on your top five, and how often we get it reversed. Like, we want to fix our weaknesses. We want to work on our weaknesses yeah. instead of focusing on our strengths. Yeah. And I think it's a helpful way to see our kids as well. Like, uh. it's so easy to want to, like, identify the weaknesses and then fix them. And then from the kid's perspective, the, the point where there's energy or connection or the point where they get attention from the parent is the thing that they and everybody else know is where they don't measure up. Like, who knows? So, so you want attention, then 
just have and then just screw up in these areas and then everybody will come over to you and come closer and connect and all that yeah what a horribly upside down no wonder kids are like this place is crazy what are we doing here you know what i mean yeah and maybe those weaknesses will be strong indications for them as far as what direction they'll go in life oh think of how many people you think of how many of our friends are like Oh, yeah, when I was in high school, I was a wreck at whatever it was, or I was a mess in this area, or I totally... And that's the exact place that came alive that's now central to their work or who they are. Or, you know what I mean? Right. How many people, the thing that everybody was worried about with them um, is the exact thing that's now the engine of their thriving. Yeah, well, I, I was recently talking to this film director who I think is brilliant, and he told me that when he was in school, he, he could not pass math. Like, it was yeah, just torturous. Right. And then he got to film school, and it, it was like like all the right. lights came on. I'm the not stupid. The music started playing. I actually have, and yeah, yeah, And he was yeah, like, yeah. oh, my word, I'm really good at this. I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah. And so that was like a, a, a powerful guidance tool to help him, like, maybe you don't want to do a traditional four-year college. Maybe you just want to go right to film school. Yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I love these these research things. They're great. That's really, really interesting. Anything yeah. else to add? No, I that's think... That's good times. I think we're good for today. I'm so glad you came to the back house. If I have more thoughts, I'll walk back here. <laughs> <laughs> open invite I've got the mics right what if I just started coming back here and plugging in and what if I came back here and you were just talking away <laughs> actually people would love that you should do that people would love that um, okay thank you so much that was just great yeah that was that a good was conversation we get to launch these rockets yeah we what get could be to. more fun and we get to enjoy them grace and peace everybody <laughs>